0: Physics World. Hello, and welcome to the Physics World Weekly podcast. I'm Hamish Johnston. Friday, the 23rd of June, was International Women in Engineering Day, and we've been celebrating here at Physics World with two podcasts. Last week, we featured an interview with Kavita Jirigay, who is a US based research engineer who's working on the development of a breath test for cannabis. This week, our guest is the biomedical engineer Amparo Guámez-González, who is developing bioelectronic medicine that she hopes could be used to improve the management of type 1 diabetes. Here she is in conversation with Physics World's Tammy Freeman.
1: Type 1 diabetes is an incurable disease in which the body does not create the insulin needed to regulate glucose levels in the bloodstream. Diabetes is currently controlled via regular monitoring of blood sugar levels and injection or infusion of insulin, but there could be another option on the horizon, the use of bioelectronic medicine to improve diabetes management. This is the approach being developed by Amparo Gomez-Gonzalez, a postdoctoral research fellow at the Bioelectronic Lab at the University of Cambridge, funded by the Royal Commission for the Exhibition of 1851. Amparo is creating advanced algorithms and neurotechnology for integration into a closed loop platform that will improve glucose control for people with type 1 diabetes. And earlier this year, she was awarded the 2023 Rising Talent Award in Engineering for Women in Science, UK and Ireland, for this work. I'm joined today by Amparo to find out more about this innovative new technique. Hello, Amparo.
2: Hello, thank you very much for having me
1: here. This is a very exciting opportunity. So first of all, how do patients with type 1 diabetes usually manage their condition? And what are the main limitations with current methods?
2: Yes, so uh, let me quickly remind um, for the non-expert publics that in healthy conditions, when we eat, the beta cells in the pancreas release this insulin that you were talking about that allow our body to store and to use the sugar that is contained in the carbohydrates. However, as you have also introduced, in type 1 diabetes, the insulin is not secreted properly because there's an autoimmune destruction of the beta cells. And this, in turn, cause large and risky fluctuations of blood glucose levels. So for type 1 diabetes, the traditional treatment includes uh, measuring glucose levels continuously using either finger pricks, or most recently the um, continuous glucose monitoring sensors, and then injecting insulin boluses accordingly. But then in the last years, we've seen the cutting edge technology for um, glucose control, which relies on these autonomous systems that respond to changes in blood glucose concentrations by automatically adjusting the insulin dose that is delivered through a pump. So um, these are uh, are known as artificial pancreas, and we saw the first commercialized um, hybrid system, which was the Medtronic uh, 660G. And with those, we've seen improved control um, compared to the traditional methods, such as the finger pricks or the insulin therapy, manual insulin therapy. But the control is still far from the optimal optimal, uh, glucose control that we see in healthy individuals. And uh, the reason for that is that these artificial pancreas face challenges such as a lack of um, anticipatory control. There are delays in the insulin action. Um, There's uh, a huge reliance on the um, uh, self-reportation of uh, carbohydrate contents. And all these, plus the technical challenges such as accuracy of the CGMs and the safety of the insulin pumps, are basically challenging or limiting the um, progress and the effective development
1: of these um, closed-loop systems. Okay, so you're developing a bioelectronic approach to diabetes management. So how will this differ? Yes, yeah, so I want to make a
2: clear point here. And there's no doubt that glucose metabolism in our bodies is mainly regulated by hormonal Uh, mechanisms, so insulin or glucagon or the hormones. However, in the healthy um, individuals, we see that there are other mechanisms that are driven by the nervous system that also interact with each other in order to ensure a very tight regulation of glucose. And this makes sense because glucose is the primary source of energy in our bodies, especially in the brain. So um, we want to have a really tight control. And I also want to highlight here the really important role of the nervous system because of course our organs, our peripheral organs do not work in isolation. They are continuously being told what to do by nerves acting through these substances which are called neurotransmitters. And these enable a bi-directional communication between the organs and the brain. So in this context, bioelectronic or bioelectronic medicine can be used to improve metabolic control. So very briefly, bioelectronic medicine, it's uh, the use of any type of stimulation, such as um, electric, uh, optogenetic, ultrasound, to modulate the um, activity of peripheral nerves and with the goal of treating a specific disorder or restoring our lost biological function. So for example, right now, the um, Bioelectronic medicine is being used, for example, in vagus nerve stimulation for rheumatoid arthritis or Crohn's disease. So we see that there's potential in many diseases. But in my, uh, my multidisciplinary project in particular, what we are doing is to try to explore this neurometabolic interface to develop a closed-loop system that mimics, to a greater extent, the natural metabolic physiology on, on healthy individuals. How? Well, we try to do that by directly interfacing with the nerves of interest. So now, instead of relying on a purely metabolic or, or hormonal approach we, um, that basically focuses on administering external insulin, our hypothesis is that by introducing this neurotechnology to record from peripheral nerves, we can obtain more information and more accurate information about the metabolic state and milk characteristics. But even more, we can use that information to get better calculations of the insulin to be delivered and also to provide stimulation of nerves to modulate glucose metabolism as as desired or to prepare the body for that external injection of insulin. And therefore, we are trying to, um, by tapping into the nerves, trying to create a more comprehensive and more realistic um, artificial system that mimics the their
1: real physiology in, in health individuals. Okay, I mean that sounds really impressive. so I mean how would this actually be benefit how would it benefit the patient over what they're doing now?
2: Yeah, so just basically trying to, coming back to the same um, idea, with the integration of this neurotechnology, we aim to capture more information about the metabolic state and the milk characteristics in a way faster way in, in a faster way. Um, And then by using this tailored electrical stimulation, then we can create again a faster response to uh, metabolic challenges such as meal intake. And so we are creating a system that optimizes the the response, making it um, faster and making it more accurate. So um, um, this closed-loop platform in eventually, it aims to enhance, of course, patient autonomy because um, right now they have to introduce manually the carbohydrate content. If we can extract that information from, from the nerves automatically, that reduces the, the, um, uh, or, or increases the, the autonomy of the system, then it will increase the effectiveness, uh, effectiveness of the um, insulin that is being injected. And eventually, we aim to provide personalized and an anticipatory control of uh, glucose. So hopefully, um, this will help to improve patient outcomes, but also mitigate all those diabetes-related complications that are associated with the disease.
1: Okay, great. Um Will this neural monitoring and stimulation will this require an implant of some sort? Um, would you need one or two implants for this? Yeah, so that's a very good question, and
2: we have to bear in mind that uh, to successfully record or, or to stimulate, we need devices, and these devices can be either be implanted or be uh, worn as wearables. Now, uh, main trade-off in bioelectronics in general is um, that between being selective and being invasive. So, of course, selectiveness allows for a more precise targeting of the specific neural pathways that we are uh, interested on. And, and as, with that, we can achieve um, more um, a desired therapeutic uh, um, response while minimizing the side effects. And this is especially important when we are recording from peripheral nerves, which are very small. So we need to be like really close to the nerves because that amplitude signal is very small. However, of course, um, the closer that you go to the nerves, the more invasive the surgery is. So, um, and high invasive surgeries, uh, of course, imply more risks and more um, surgical-related complications. So, striking a balance in between being selective and being non invasive is very important, and that's why we are working towards uh developing these minimal invasive or or non invasive techniques um, to achieve both this selectiveness but also reduce invasiveness and and we the whole community working in this field um we are all moving towards developing all these um, minimal invasive approaches to um, our maximum extent to make bioelectronic interventions safer and more accessible and also like more applicable in a clinical setup. So regarding uh, the question on will um, the same device could be used for both recording and stimulation, um, it will definitely be possible and it will be also convenient because it will reduce uh, the amount of having multiple implants or multiple uh, surgeries but there are um, some limitations such as for example the need of um, a very complex system that can account for for all those processes being and happening at the same time and also um, we have to bear in mind that whenever we stimulate there are artifacts so there are disturbances um, after stimulation that can affect the recording. So all those things have to be very in mind. In, partic- in the particular case of uh, this project, which is glucose metabolism, we've seen that um, this is not a very localized pro- uh, process. This is happening systemically um, in, in, in all the organs in our body. And therefore, a, an optimal placement for recording may not be the optimal pre- placement for stimulation. And that um, may um so that that's why we are continuously exploring um which are the best locations for doing each of the tasks and that will probably inform and determine the best design to be translated into a clinical um, system
1: whereabouts in the body um, i know you're still exploring it but what sort of places might these implants be do they have to go in the brain or or is it elsewhere in the body so right now um
2: the bioelectronic medicine is um, a complex term because it may include many things, but it's mostly focusing on a peripheral uh, and peripheral, nerves. So um, um, one main nerve that is being stimulated or is being explored is the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve is this uh, main parasympathetic nerve that connects the brain with basically any visceral organs. And the one accessible place to do the surgery, which is actually being used for um, cases of epilepsy or rheumatoid arthritis, is implanting this um, device in the in the neck, so cervically. Yep. That's a fairly straightforward uh, surgery that is being conducted right now, and and that's one uh, location, the problem with that is that. The, cl- the closer that you are to the brain, then uh, the more information about more organs that vagus nerve uh, is, is carrying. So if we want to be specific about one um, organ, then we need to try to go as close as we um, can towards that. But that, of course, comes with the limitation of being more invasive in the surgery, at least for now. So that's why we are exploring. So at the same time that we are developing the technology, we are exploring strategies to minimize that impact on the surgery. Because, of course, we, despite we normally work on preclinical and in vitro um, setups, we always have in mind that like this needs to be translated into the clinic and and working uh with that mindset is extremely important
1: for the successful of this device for the success of these devices so so i mean how far along are you in the development of have you created these devices yet have you done any sort of testing on them in animal models or in patients or anything yet so
2: i want to emphasize here that this this is a very complex and a very ambitious project and a very long term project so we are uh, trying to work step by step by integrating this, the knowledge and the techniques from different fields such as neurotechnology, computational modeling, bioelectronics, signal processing. And today, our focus has been uh, on developing these um, new devices, bioelectronic devices, and these um, uh, algorithms that can set the structure. To develop the clinical um, device, so right now for example um, we've been working on on designing these implantable devices that uh, can be used for neural monitoring, but we've also been exploring as I was saying other strategies to acquire selective and minimal invasive stimulation of the um, of the nerves and Yes, as I was saying, like all these will serve as the foundation for the development of this closed loop neurometabolic um, system to, to be used in a clinical setup.
1: OK. And um, once it's sort of ready for clinical use, do you um, see this device being um, used by a particular type of patient or just would it be suitable for anyone that has type 1 diabetes?
2: Yes, so... Um, In my particular case, I don't envision this uh, bioelectronic approach to diabetes to fully replace the current technologies and the methods that are in diabetes right now. Instead, I feel that it will complement the existing approaches, and it it aims to offer an alternative uh, option for those specific patients um, that require additional support to get stable um, uh, glucose uh, levels. So for individuals that already have a good and optimal glucose control, then this new approach may not um, add any additional benefits. So there's there's no sense to try to use that. However, for those that have a very complex or difficult to control diabetes, then this bioelectronic system can provide that um, adaptability and that personalized um, solution that. Um, it may help them to improve their glucose control so um, i guess the goal the goal here will be to identify those patients that can benefit from this technology through uh, further research and always in collaboration with the uh, medical professionals and of course the patients themselves and i want to highlight here if it's um if i'm allowed that um, beyond diabetes this uh this research because it's right now it's kind of Basic research, um, it can spark a transformation in in the um, um, in advances of healthcare because this could be applied to other chronic uh, conditions as well. So all this hardware that we are developing, all these uh, algorithms that can be tuned and be adapted to other um, medical conditions, and that's why this this research that I'm conducting at that other uh, labs uh, worldwide are are focusing on it, it's very powerful.
1: Absolutely. Um, Now, finally, as I said, you've recently received a rising talent award, which recognizes exceptional early careers women scientists in the UK and Ireland. So could you just um, quickly tell us about this award and how it might impact your future research?
2: Yes. So, um, the Racing Talent Award um, by the UK, UK and Ireland L'Oreal Foundation, um, it's, it's an award, as you were saying, that it recognizes early career uh, women scientists. And it has been an incredible honor to, to receive this recognition because this is a really significant milestone um, in, in my research journey. And it has power um, even more in my passion and my motivation and my dedication to keep working on on this field. But um, in in more practical terms, um, this award, what it will provide is uh, for me, the opportunity to um, do um, more collaborations in Europe and to increase the visibility of of my research, both within the scientific uh, community, but also uh, for the whole society. And this is very important because, uh, as I was saying before, these projects need, need to, aban- to advance hand-in-hand with um, clinicians, with uh, patients, and, and with the whole scientific community. And I would like to also say that as a woman in engineering, I feel really uh, privileged to, to receive such an award, which I also feel it serves an, as an inspiration for other women that are trying to pursue a career in science and in, in STEM. And I want to tell them that if I could do it, um, everyone with hard work and, and effort can do it as well. And here I would also like to make a, a special recognition for um, to the support provided by the um, a research fellowship awarded by the Royal Commission for the Exhibition of eighteen fifty one, for which is funding my three years postdoc um, at uh, University of Cambridge, and this has played. Um, a crucial role in my development and the advancement of, of this research. And I would like to encourage all early career researchers with less than three years of a postdoc to apply to this fellowship if they really want to conduct uh, innovative, but also independent research.
1: Excellent. Well, I really look forward to seeing how the research develops over the next few years and do stay in touch with us. So um, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much. It has been a real pleasure to be discussing this with you. Thank you.
0: That was Amparo Gomez gonzalez in conversation with Physics World's Tammy Freeman. It was the second of two interviews that we've done in celebration of International Women in Engineering Day. The previous interview was with NIST's Kavita Jiragay, who talked about the challenges of creating a breath test for cannabis. That episode of the Physics World Weekly podcast is called Sniffing Out Drug Driving, Why a Breath Test for Cannabis is So Hard to Create, and you can find it on the Physics World website or at your favorite podcast provider. The role that nuclear power should play in addressing climate change is a controversial issue. Supporters point out that using nuclear fission to generate electricity has a lifetime carbon footprint that's on par with offshore wind, and significantly lower than solar photovoltaics. Detractors remind us of the considerable and unsolved problem of what to do with toxic nuclear waste that will be with us for a very long time. And they also cite disasters such as Chernobyl and Fukushima as reasons against nuclear power. Now, the American director Oliver Stone has entered the fray with a film called Nuclear Now!, which argues the case for nuclear power. Never averse to a conspiracy, Stone makes the bold claim that the fossil fuel industry has spread disinformation about the dangers of low-level radiation because they see nuclear energy as a significant competitor. Physics World's columnist Robert Kreese has watched the film, and you can read his review on the website. Just look for the headline, Nuclear Now by Oliver Stone, Putting Nuclear Energy Back on the Table. I'm afraid that's all the time we have for this week's podcast. Thanks to Amparo Gomez gonzalez and Tammy Freeman for joining me today. And of course, a special thanks to our producer, Fred Isles. We'll be back again next week. But in the meantime, do check out the latest episode of the Physics World Stories podcast. Host Andrew Glester puts the question, Will AI chatbots replace physicists, to the astronomer Carol Green and the condensed matter physicist Philip Moriarty. You can find all episodes of the Stories podcast on the Physics World website or at your favorite podcast provider. Physics World